Paxton Quigley is rolling out the green carpet, talking to the creme de la creme of innovators and influencers who are shaping the world of cannabis and culture. Welcome to High Society with Paxton Quigley. Hello to all of you cannabis aficionados, and welcome to High Society with Paxton Quigley. Folks, first I'd like to thank our listeners for purchasing my novel, Just Try Me. It's available on Amazon. And my book is about three cannabis-consuming women who get involved in all manner of international intrigue. Uh, Just Try Me has been called attractive to people who appreciate spicy intrigue. And one male reviewer said, if the action doesn't grab you, the sex will. Folks, with the tense, unpredictable, and very close 2020 elections finally, hopefully coming to an end, there was one outcome that was clear. Drug law reform in the United States was a huge winner. Yay, 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 yay. Each state that had cannabis in some form on the ballot won. That was Arizona, Mississippi, Montana, New Jersey, and South Dakota. Additionally, two measures passed to approve the use of psilocybin therapy and Oregon approved the decriminalization of all drugs. So with us today to tell us what happened in these most extraordinary national elections is Matthew Schweik. He's deputy director of the Marijuana Policy Project. Matthew, welcome to High Society with Paxton Quigley. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm glad to see you. Glad to see you, and I wish the rest of the world could see you too, because you've got all of these different um, posters up on yes on A, yes on A26, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, let's get started. Um, in each of these five states, voters passed ballot measures by, by relatively large numbers. So what does this say about where America is going in terms of drug law reform overall? And then clearly, to me, this bodes well for the ultimate goal of, shall we say, federal legalization and hopefully the end of war on drugs. What is your opinion about all this? I think the results this year uh, with regard to the marijuana reform ballot initiatives demonstrate that support among the American people for marijuana reform just keeps increasing over time. Uh, that's the case for both medical marijuana and for adult use legalization. And I think a, a, the main reason why increases, uh, the support is increasing is because voters can see that these policies are working effectively in other states. You know, heading into election day, 11 states have legalized marijuana for adults um, since 2012. None of those states have repealed legalization. In none of those states has a bill to repeal legalization passed a single legislative chamber. In none of those states has a ballot initiative to repeal legalization qualified for the ballot. Our opponents go around saying, oh no, legalization's horrible. You know, Colorado's a mess. Well then, why have none of these states repealed the policy? And why is it the case that support among voters increases in those states post-legalization? So the proof is in the pudding and voters understand that. We've been experimenting with marijuana prohibition for almost a century by any reasonable metric. It has been an abject failure. I don't see how you could describe it as successful in any way, even if you believe in its goals. And 
voters understand it's failed. There's a new approach to marijuana. It's working. And so all we're seeing is increasing levels of support. And, you know, with regards to these five states in particular, you had the full range uh, on the political spectrum from deep blue New Jersey, which went for Biden by 20 points to deep red South Dakota, with, which went for Trump by 25 points. You know, two very different states with regard to the presidential election both said the same thing on marijuana reform. And between that, you know, you also have very conservative Mississippi with the medical initiative. And then you've got Montana, which has been a purplish state uh, in the past. And you've got Arizona, which seems to be a newly purple state. So, you know, broad uh, segment of the electorate has approved this policy at the ballot box. And uh, yes, I think it does bode well for federal reform. I believe 2021 should be and will be our year, um, regardless of who controls the White House and the House and the Senate. I'm hopeful that marijuana reform could be that one issue that cuts through the obstruction, which we're likely to face, um, and can be a, an act of you know, bipartisan cooperation next year. Well, it all sounds really good, um, but I'm wondering, embedded in this, these legislative measures, are there pro provisions, for example, for expunging the records of you know, people with pot arrests and that steps are going to be taken to get pot prisoners out of jail. Can you tell us something about that? Yes, that was uh, that's in the Montana initiative. It's uh, in the Arizona initiative. And I strongly suspect it will be part of implementation in New Jersey and you know, in South Dakota. Hopefully that's something that the legislature will consider in the future. So yes, these initiatives advance this, uh, the goal of expungement and getting people out of prison who are in there for marijuana offenses. So that's important to us as, as advocates, but the first step is, is winning the battle on legalization. And then from there, you can make more progress. You know, one state that clearly needs an enthusiastic <clears throat> shout out is, is Arizona. As you know, uh, it was narrowly, it, it didn't get legalized uh, in 2016, and now they passed it. So, so what will Arizona's legal marijuana industry look like? Can you give us some kind of picture? Sure. Okay. I haven't been involved in the Arizona campaign. I was very involved in Montana and South Dakota, so I just want to have that caveat, but my understanding is that Prop 207 is written in such a way so that there's an orderly transition from the currently current medical system into a recreational system that uh, gives the existing operators uh, the opportunity to make that transition. And there's already a, a very well-developed medical marijuana market in Arizona. So hopefully Arizona could resemble Nevada to a certain extent. Um, in terms of having that smoother transition, not that Nevada was perfect, but you've got a well-developed medical market and the initiative, uh, the initiative does you know, provide a path to, to transitioning to rec. And so I expect that things will go smoothly in Arizona because that initiative, a lot of thought went into its drafting. Well, that sounds good. Now, what about New Jersey? In my mind, there's no doubt that legalization in New Jersey is going to set off a green wave on the East Coast, which presumably will include New York, uh, probably maybe in 2021. Well, what are your feelings about that in terms of I, the East Coast? I believe that New Jersey is very important for the East Coast. So far, it's been New England states 
Maine and Massachusetts and Vermont that have legalized uh, for, for adults. But New, New York is, uh, New Jersey's different because you just have a huge concentration of, of population in the area um, between New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. And lawmakers have been considering this in, in New York and New Jersey for a number of years, haven't been able to get it done. And now there's a clear mandate from the people in New Jersey. And, and now it's up to the legislature and policymakers to work out the details in New Jersey. And I think that they're going to they're gonna move uh, in a responsible and timely manner on that. So the question now for New York and Pennsylvania is, um, do you, you know, bury your head in the sand and donate hundreds of millions, eventually billions of dollars to New Jersey, just literally handing over tax revenue that could be used in your state, could be used to improve your roads and bridges, could be used to improve your schools, instead just hand it over to New Jersey. Uh, that's option A. Option B is to be pragmatic and use common sense and recognize the fact that a majority of voters in New York already support legalization and, and in Pennsylvania. And so the popular support is there. And uh, so there's no excuse to not act upon that. And again, how much money does New York want to donate to New Jersey is what is the fundamental question. Um, because so many people, as we know, are just going to drive to New Jersey and purchase legal marijuana and then drive back home and leave behind uh, to the detriment of their home state, leave behind in New Jersey, not just the revenue, but also the associated economic activity and economic benefits, uh, the jobs created directly by the marijuana industry, the businesses created by the marijuana industry, but also the multiplier effect. Uh, we talk about this a lot on campaigns. It's not just jobs uh, in new marijuana businesses, it's ex opportunities for existing businesses to expand. We talked a lot about this in South Dakota, contractors, HVAC specialists, electricians, um, accountants, real estate professionals, security firms, um, farmers, all these businesses that have been around in South Dakota for many years, some of them family businesses that have been around for decades. Now they have a new opportunity to pursue. Now there's an increased chance that they can expand their workforce. They can make new investments. So it's also about all the benefits for those existing businesses. And that's what we're going to see in New Jersey. And uh, New York can, can be pragmatic and use common sense or, or it can just let New Jersey reap the benefits while it, it maintains a, a senseless policy of, of criminalization. Well, I can tell you a personal story. I happen to be a co-owner of an organic food supermarket in California in Palo Alto called Country Sun. And when we decided after much discussion, I brought it up at the beginning that we should have CBD uh, sold in our stores. Um, my partners first said, no, no, no. And I said, yes, 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 we'll make more money. And they finally figured that that was good. And I want you to know that once we, we got the CBD in, our um, we went up 20, 23% in terms of profits. Wow. And that was that was literally, I want to tell you, you know, putting a sign out in front, you know, we're carrying CBD products and, uh, you know, come on in. And um, and it's so it's been uh, exciting. And so those people out there who 
own businesses. I'm giving you just a, a little inside information that what can really happen when you're when you're selling CBD. And I imagine um, medical, not medical marijuana, but recreational uh, marijuana will really make a difference too. Uh, do you see do you see one um, versus the other in terms of more profits for for companies? It's not my area of expertise, but. You know, I think that when you've got a recreational business, you have a larger customer base, you can realize economies of scale and in the long run, um, improve your improve your profits. At the same time, you know, usually medical program will have low or no tax um, on patients, whereas there will be a tax for the recreational customers. And in some states, people hold on to their medical cards and, and pay the lower tax rate or no tax rate. And so that can impact things. But I think both sides of the business are, are profitable. Uh, we're seeing that. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's state dependent to a certain degree on, on which uh, is the more, you know, um, beneficial uh, opportunity for a business owner. Hmm. Now, were you surprised about Mississippi in terms of what they did? Uh, I mean, I think, I think they, went out um, pretty far in terms of, of the South. And how did you work uh, with the people in Mississippi to, to make things happen there? Well, I was not surprised that there was support for medical marijuana because medical marijuana has 60 or 70% support in every state in the country now. Uh, and, we, and I was part of the team that passed medical marijuana in Utah in 2018. And my you know, after that, I said, okay, if we can pass it in Utah, we can pass it anywhere because, you know, there's a large Mormon population that, uh, you know, major part of their faith is to you know, avoid, avoid substances, including even things like caffeine, certainly alcohol and tobacco and certainly marijuana. So when we passed it in, in Utah, I felt like, okay, with a good campaign, you can win this anywhere. Now, the challenge that the Mississippi campaign had was that there were two initiatives uh, in a two-step process. So first you had to vote, yes, I want medical marijuana or not. And then you had to choose between two initiatives, 65 and 65A. 65A was placed on the ballot by the legislature um, in a move designed to confuse voters because all that 65A did was grant the legislature the authority to work out the details of medical marijuana policy. There were a few more details in there, but that was essentially it. So granting themselves power, they already had and have refused to use. So to me, it was clearly a disingenuous initiative. And that was the tricky part to educate voters on, hey, you got to vote yes first, and then you've got to choose 65. That type of thing can be tricky. And so I, that was what made me nervous heading into election day. But the campaign on the ground in Mississippi did an exceptional job explaining that to voters, ran really good ads. I didn't work on that campaign, but we all talked to each other as allies. And I think that the team in Mississippi deserves a ton of credit for running a really effective campaign that was able to overcome the potential confusion caused by multiple initiatives being on the same ballot for one issue. Tell me more about uh, your organization and what they do and your membership and and uh, how can uh, our listeners get involved in, in what you do? So the Marijuana Policy Project was founded in 1995. We work on medical marijuana and uh, full legalization policies. We work at the state and federal levels. Our state work breaks into two buckets, the ballot initiative work that I oversee and then the legislative work that my 
colleague, Karen O'Keefe, oversees. And we've been really effective in both arenas over the years. I mentioned some of the states where we've been um, played an important role in the past. And for us, we just want to maintain momentum. Election Day was an incredible day for the marijuana reform movement. And now we need to take that momentum and do a few things with it. One, we need to use it to get federal reform. And I think there's going to be a ton of pressure on Congress next year from a lot of different groups, including MPP, to finally get a federal marijuana reform. But uh, separate from that, whether that happens or not, we need to keep working at the state level in the state legislatures, because I do not foresee a situation where the federal government uh, forces anything on the states. Right. So even if things go really well next year with federal reform, I think it's going to still be up to states what type of medical marijuana program they want, what type of legalization law they want. So the state level work must continue. And the legislative work, you know, that's already starting or has started for 2021, laying the groundwork, building relationships in, in the legislatures to, to advance medical and legalization. And then also at the state level are 2022 ballot initiatives. Um, and uh, it's still too soon from Election Day for me to wrap my head around that. I got to decompress a little bit. But soon uh, we will be talking about that and, and, and assessing the opportunities for 2022 on the ballot. Um, and you know, that's what we're focused on. And if people want to learn more, they should visit our website, which is mpp.org, um, which is marypeterpeter.org. We're also on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash marijuana policy project and uh, sign up for emails. Uh, you can find links to take action in your state and uh, follow us on Facebook because we post updates there on how people can get involved in this issue. So we're really uh, passionate people. We're also pragmatic. You know, I, I like to say that we're, we're passionate yet pragmatic. And that's, that's why we've got this track record of success over the years. And yeah, there's a lot of exciting work ahead. You know, in this era of political division, it's, it's fun to, it, and inspiring and uplifting to work on an issue that brings people together. Um, and also it's fun and inspiring and exciting to work on an issue where there's actual progress being made, right? There's so many public policy issues where things are stagnant. And so if you're passionate about this issue, come get involved. We've got things for you to do to help, uh, mpp.org. And, um, and we'd love to have you as part of our, of part of our movement. Well, that's terrific. Now, um, in terms of legislators, do you work directly with any of the legislators on the, on the state level? Yeah, absolutely. We build relationships with our bill sponsors um, and committee chairs and legislative leaders, and we'll you know send our staff to the state to go uh, walk the halls of the state house and have conversations with as many policymakers as we can, and and we'll have lobbyists that get us meetings with the decision makers. Um, and help us you know, develop the strategy. And we'll do pressure tactics from the outside, generating calls. So we get very involved, uh, very involved in the legislative efforts and um, you know, right in the trenches with our allies on the ground. And that's, that's what MPV wants to do, bring the expertise um, and experience that we've gained from past efforts and then bring that to the table for the local, for the local effort. And if you've got you know, passionate, driven people uh, in the state, coupled with the experience and expertise that we have, the, the lessons learned, the best practices, so to speak. That's how you set yourself up for success. So it's not like we just write a check to some people and check in with them every two weeks. No, we're, we're right in there on the front lines. You know, I've been, I've done this in Rhode Island. I was a you know, 
technically a registered lobbyist. I like to say I was one of like the good lobbyists because I worked for a nonprofit. <laughs> uh, and you know, I testified in House and, and, and Senate uh, judiciary committees. Um, so we 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 get right involved in it, and it's it's exciting work. It can be very frustrating work, but it's important work. How synergistic is, uh, are you in terms of like, let's say, working with the National Organization to Reform Marijuana Laws? Do you uh, ever do things together? Uh, is, is there any kind of synergy like that, or do you really have you know specific uh, and diff, you know different goals? Well, we try to work well. We we try to collaborate whenever possible with our with our allies, you know, whether that's uh, normal or DPA. Um, we're always looking for ways to work together. And DPA uh, was a supporter of, of the campaigns in, in Montana and South Dakota. We appreciate that a great deal. And I worked uh, closely with with Eric Altieri at Normal, um, planning uh, Rick Steves' efforts this year. Uh, Rick Steves, a uh, well-known travel TV host, uh, longtime marijuana reform advocate, has been an incredible ambassador for our issue. And He's been he's helped out every campaign I've been on, I think. And so uh, Eric Altieri from Normal and I you know, work closely to um, to plan Rick's uh, support and earn media in these in the four legalization states. So, yeah, we, we we talk. We try to be efficient. I don't think it's ever good for a movement to have fragmented groups that you know allow ego or credit to, to cause splintering or lack of cooperation. You know, we've got a, there's a ton of work to do. So. Um, plenty of us to do it. And so we're all about that, that type of cooperation and, and we want donors and we want, you know, advocates and voters to see that we're not, you know, in conflict with one another. That doesn't inspire, um, you know, a desire to get involved or to donate money when you see these groups butting heads. So we're all about that collaboration. And, and do we agree on hundred percent of everything all the time? No, of course not, but we're friends, we're allies and we appreciate each other. And that sounds really good. I wish we had more time and uh, we'd love to talk to you again when, when there's more ballot things coming up, measures coming up. Um, but please give us uh, again where people can find you on, on the web. Absolutely. We're at mpp.org. mpp.org is a marijuana policy project. Uh, Mary Peter Peter uh, is another way to remember it. But mpp.org and then... Um, our Facebook page is facebook.com slash marijuana policy project. And uh, that's the best way to, to get involved and follow our work. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on High Society with, with Paxton Quigley. This historic moment is in our country's history is uh, made possible by uh, people like you and organizations uh, that are involved in, in, in making legalization of marijuana. So I thank you very much. And I look forward in the next maybe couple of months that we get together again and talk about what's happening next and how our listeners can go ahead and, and get involved in what you're doing. Thank you thank so much. Thank you. And for take care. Me on. Certainly. And folks, please remember that my novel, Just Try Me, is available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle. And to all of our listeners, you can visit us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram by going to High Society with Paxton Quigley. Stay safe, please wear a mask, and stay in touch. I'm Paxton Quigley.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.